Good evening, and welcome to Direct Impact Broadcasting, the station of growth and transformation. Affiliate of Creative Broadcasting presents Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson, with your host, Taiwana Wilson, as she welcomes her guest to the studio. Welcome to Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson. I am your host, Taiwana Wilson. A little bit about myself. I am your award-winning leadership maven, medical laboratory scientist by background, best-selling author, owner and chief leadership consultant at Trinity Elite Coaching and Consulting Services, executive director with the John Maxwell team, co-owner of Direct Impact Broadcasting Media Network, and visionary of the Leadership Tidbits book series. Before we bring on my special guest, I want to share a few announcements. If you have not gotten your signed copy of the best-selling business book, Leadership Tidbits, you can do so today by going to www.coachtwilson.com. Also, applications are being accepted for Leadership Tidbits 2. We have got such positive reviews about our practical business book that you can use in both your personal and professional life. And so we are opening up the doors for our next group to be involved with Leadership Tidbits, the second edition. If that may be you, if you are a leadership trailblazer and you want to share your words of wisdom that you have learned over the years, you can go to www.leadershiptidbits.com and you will find more information about the authors that were featured in the first edition. You will also find reviews uh, from customers who have read that book as well as the application to apply. If you are in need of ongoing leadership tips and personal development support, I encourage you to join my leadership tribe at TrendyEliteLeadershipTribe.com. Special thanks to my media mentors, Ms. Ashley Lipsell and Ms. Kimberly McLemore of Talk Radio and Network TV LLP. Today's special guest is Ms. Robin Shabazz. Ms. Robin Shabazz of the East Ledge Group, LLC, is the principal, is a business organization consultant with expertise in teaching leaders at all levels how to become more efficient working in multicultural environments. Robin is a licensed attorney and a civil mediator in the state of Ohio whose career has spawned over 30 years with proven results in cultural transformation diversity and inclusion, human resource management, and employee relations. As a certified unconscious bias and cultural intelligence facilitator, Robin capitalizes on her diverse background to bring both a pragmatic and risk mitigation approach to her work. Her clients range from Ohio nonprofits to global Fortune 50 companies to technology startups. Prior to forming the East Ledge Group, Robin held several leadership roles within global retail companies. She served as Senior Vice President of Human Resources for Signet Jewelers Incorporated 
where she was responsible for developing and executing the human capital strategy in support of the overall strategic direction of the company. While at Lizotica Retail, she built a nationally recognized human capital analytics infrastructure, which linked employee behaviors and traits to business outcomes. Her work was published in Talent Talent Management Magazine and the book, Calculating Success, How the New Workplace Analytics Will Revitalize Your Organization. Clients seek her counsel on a wide wide array of workplace issues, such as cultural audits, workplace investigations, diversity, equity and inclusion, roadmaps, implicit bias training, and human resource policy and procedure development. Her portfolio of clients include ConUx Incorporated, Toyota Motor Manufacturing, Indiana, Metro, Sorta, Akron Urban League, the International Customer Service Association, Ohio Department of Health, Cincinnati Regional Chamber of Commerce, and the University of Cincinnati College of Law. Robin speaks at workshops, universities, and seminars on unconscious bias, cultural intelligence, inclusive leadership, and building trust-based relationships. She was honored in 2019 by the Cincinnati Chamber of Commerce as a second act award recipient and holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration and Juris Doctor. Please, please, please welcome my guest, Ms. Robin Shabazz. Good evening, Robin. How are you doing? Good evening. Oh, I am fantastic. Wow. Um, thank you for um, quite a um, wonderful introduction and for the invitation to participate in your podcast. I'm so excited. I am excited to have you on. I'm excited to learn all about you. I learned something new uh, just from asking you to be a guest on this show. So I know that you have a ton of information to share with the listeners. So let's jump right into it so that they can get these nuggets of wisdom that you have to offer. So, Ms. Robin, can you please tell the listeners a little bit about your leadership journey and how did you get to where you are today? Wow. I feel like, um, truly, I just started my uh, leadership journey two years ago when I left corporate America and started my own company. Um, but just to kind of step back a little bit, I have always um, been goal-oriented, um, my parents were very serious when it came to education and grades, and I uh, distinctly remember uh, packing my bags back when I was about 15 years old, ready to run away, when my mom put me on a summer-long punishment for getting my first C in ninth grade biology. So um, we were really uh, serious about setting high expectations and achieving goals. Uh, lucky for me, I love school. Uh, love learning, still do. I had um, the pleasure of going to an HBCU. So for those who may not be familiar with those acronyms, I attended Florida A&M uh, University, which is a historically black college and university for undergraduate work. And um, after graduation, I worked for one of the largest uh, fortune, it was probably a fortune 10 company. Uh, at that time, which was General Electric, 
uh, in Stanford, Connecticut at their headquarters. And um, then decided I wanted to go to law school because I wanted to be the first black woman Supreme Court justice. Well, I didn't do that. <laughs> um, but uh, what I, uh, I did, did end up having the uh, opportunity to work for um, a wonderful company here in Cincinnati for many, many years. And I was at um, in-house corporate counsel there and really ended up specializing after several years, several um, years with that company in um, employment law. And that led me into HR. And um, although I never took one HR class in life, um, following in the steps of a mentor of mine, uh, after corporate restructure, I went into HR operations and really never left. I fell in love with uh, HR. It came natural to me. And um, I was able to apply both my um, undergraduate um, degree in finance and my legal degree uh, in the practice of um, human resources. And um, it just, you know, grew from there. Uh, I spent about 30 years, actually, in corporate America in successive roles in HR uh, up until two years ago. Um, when I left um, a large retail organization, uh, you mentioned them, Signet Jewelers, um, where I was their senior vice president of human resources for North America, and um, came back to Cincinnati with a lot of support from my husband and my mentors, and started my own consulting company, the East Ledge Group. Wow. With, you have such a diverse background with law and finance and business. Uh, did you find it difficult to make that transition from moving from corporate America to the entrepreneurial side? It's interesting because um, I always saw myself as um, a corporate person, and, and I put that in quotes. Because I was almost a lifer. I mean, 30 years is a long time. And um, I was literally counting down the days to early retirement um, because I had put my time in for the pension. And I was with the company at the time that still had a pension. So um, I never really envisioned myself as leaving corporate America. Um, however, what eventually um, began to happen is that um, the uh, the emotional tax um, of being often the only, quote, unquote, or being uh, the token uh, for so many years, um, you know, you know, paid a, a, such a huge, huge uh, toll on my um, emotional and physical health. Uh, don't get me wrong, I had a great career, and I definitely feel blessed to have been um, with all the places that my career has taken me, but I did not um, shed a tear when I left, hung up my corporate uh, handcuffs, and uh, decided to start my own business. And the transition uh, was challenging, but what I had is the ability to um, reach back into my network of supporters and uh, friends, former colleagues, former 
managers and mentors who were there uh, in many ways. Most of them, um, my first clients, many of them were part of um, my network that I had built while I was in corporate America. And if they weren't um, hiring me, they were certainly mentoring me and encouraging me um, and connecting me with the uh, right people who could help me along the way because leaving uh, the role that I was in uh, where I had people around me who did a lot of the things that helped make me successful, I now, as the owner of a business, had to wear not you know, five, 10, you know, 15 hats, but, you know, 30 hats. It seems like, you know, where you're everything from, you know, the mailroom, right, to Mm -hmm. the admin, to the chief executive officer, to the IT, you know, person, to the marketing person. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I know I'm I'm preaching to the choir, as as you well know, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a daunting task. But um, but it's one that um, every day I look forward to. Absolutely. You're right. You're the chief executive of everything. You're the CEO, COO, CMO, and all the other O's that go uh, with it uh, once you move into the entrepreneurial space. Robin, with your over 20 years of corporate background uh, work prior to opening your firm, what strengths? and or experience do you feel were important and needed, really, uh, in corporate America and small business? So a lot of our immersion leaders are always thinking about, you know, what, what skills do I need? What strengths would be of benefit for me to be successful in my professional life? So what can you talk a little bit about that, of what you felt uh, made you dynamic in both the corporate space and now in your entrepreneurial journey? Absolutely. From my, I, I see two things, really. Um, from my perspective, uh, one of the most important skills uh, both on the corporate side and now on the small business um, side, has been the ability to build relationships and um, collaborate with people from all types of background, experiences, and skill sets. Um, you know, collaboration is a new currency, as they say, right? And I have always been a networker of sorts. My sister and I have that in common. We both love meeting and talking to different people from all walks of life. It's, it's difficult to advance in any role without the support of other people, right? So building relationships has always been key. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, my first clients came from relationships that I built when I was in corporate America. The, um, I think the other important um, strength um, or, or, or skill set that you need to have is just the ability uh, to know the stuff that you're selling um, and know it well. Uh, I tell people all the time, just because you attend a seminar on a topic doesn't mean you can train people on it. It's important to take the time to become proficient at what you're practicing. And the, um, the slogan, practice makes perfect, hasn't been around for 450 years for nothing. So no matter what you're doing, if you're an HR business partner, practice may mean researching new trends in HR and then auditing your own policies against these trends. 
as an entrepreneur like myself, practice often means meeting with community leaders to better understand the unmet needs of the clients that I serve or that I want to serve. So practice means staying knowledgeable and current in your field um, by any means necessary. Absolutely. It is important to be able to know what you do and do it well. So I absolutely agree with that, to know your craft and, and know it very well. Can you share with the listening audience a little bit about your work at the East Ledge Group? I know I mentioned it in your bio and, and talked a little bit about it, but I want the listeners to really understand what your firm is doing and how you work with organizations in their change and performance management efforts. Absolutely. The um, the East Lynch Group uh, is a management consulting firm specializing in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And most importantly, we're about helping organizations build the capabilities necessary to be effective in our multicultural world. And we do this by um, teaching, facilitating, um, and delivering simple yet practical skills uh, to help build uh, motivation, knowledge, um, strategies, actions that organizations, small or large, need for managing and relating to all cultures. And we all have seen in the news that you know, we are becoming a um, nation uh, of black and brown people. And for the first time in our history, the minority is going to be the majority um, in the next few decades. And most organizations are not ready for that. They only have, they have a diversity plan and maybe they have a few employee resource groups. But do they understand um, what cultural intelligence means? And that is one of the um, areas that I specialize in. And cultural intelligence, uh, while it was developed nearly 20 years ago by two academic researchers, um, it, it what it means is it's the capability to uh, relate and work effectively uh, in a culturally diverse environment. And it is 100% about building capabilities or skills needed to be effective. So it's not just about awareness training, um, and it's not just about attending a seminar session. It is about what are the key capabilities that I need to be more effective in working with people that may be different than me. And different doesn't just mean visibly different. Different could also mean that we think differently. It could mean our cultural values are different. So it's both the visible and invisible traits that make us people different. So um, for me, I fell in love with this concept because uh, it's about skill building. And skill building is very close to problem solving, which as an attorney is my happy place. I love problem solving. Me as well. Being a scientist, I love problem solving and, and troubleshooting. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that, that you say this, and I'm and I'm happy uh, to 
hear more about it because we do, we hear a lot of about diversity and inclusion and, you know, going to workshops and sometimes we apply and sometimes we don't. And, and the majority of the people, when they think about diversity and inclusion, they are thinking, uh, like you said, about what you can physically see, uh, you know, whether it be our, our racial background or whatever the case may be. So inter- I am very interested in hearing more about, you know, your work in that regards, because, you know, the reality is sometimes we think that we understand other people and we don't necessarily understand them. For example, I recently became a new mom and, you know, I felt like I was empathetic to other mothers. You know, I felt like I was empathetic to women that had children. But until you walk in those footsteps, you never really understand the things that they go through to be a working mom, to juggle a household and those kind of things. And so sometimes you may think you are aware uh, you know, that's just a, a, a diversity there, you know, before having kids to having kids. Uh, you think you understand, you know, what somebody is going through and, and you may not. Absolutely. So I'm happy. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure you talk about some of those uh, things in, in your work when it comes to, you know, those differences, economic uh, background, educational background, and how our views uh, may be skewed, uh, you know, based off of our own perception. Yes, because so, how we are socialized, really, um, which starts from, you know, uh, studies have indicated it starts as early as, um, you know, two years old and even, you know, maybe even younger. Um, the books that we read to our, to our children, the lessons that we teach them on what's good and what's bad, all of these things begin to form um, what becomes accepted and normal in their environment, which forms their culture, which forms their cultural norms. And these norms are the lens that we see the world through. So I put on my cultural lens and I see the world as red. Someone else may put theirs on and they see the world as pink. And so how do we put blend these two worlds to world views together where neither one of them are right nor wrong, they're just different. And so it's really about developing the skills to um, understand where those differences lie and then developing the strategies that you need to leverage those differences for strengths versus if they're left alone, they'll often create bottlenecks and other um, unprofitable outcomes within your organization. Absolutely, absolutely. That's very important and powerful work uh, that you are doing. So thank you. Thank you and your company for all that you're doing to make us uh, better in the workplace and make our teams better. It's important for our next generation of leaders to not only hear about our successes, but also hear about some of our hardships that we encounter along our leadership journeys. Can you share with the listeners a few of the lessons that you learned along your way? Absolutely. Um, Actually, one of the most powerful lessons that I've learned that I am still learning and working on today 
um, led me to take the leap of faith and leave 30 years of corporate America. And that's the lesson of being true to yourself every day. And we hear a lot about being your authentic self. It's kind of like a buzz phrase, but um, people don't really um, take time to really truly unpack that, to understand that, especially when you're um, the only or one of few, or even if, if, if you are in an environment where there's many people who may look like you on the outside, if, uh, if you, you could still be um, covering are downplaying certain important aspects of your identity to fit into the ideal of what a leader, quote unquote, should look like, should sound like, should act like. Um, there's a really great book. Uh, if there are any um, diversity, uh, equity, inclusion folks out there, or HR nerds out there, um, it's called, it's by Kinji uh, Yoshino, and um, it's called Covering. The uh, Hidden Assault on Our Human Rights. It's a great book. And it talks about the, the physical and mental health effects suffered by people who feel the pressure to conform to other people's norms. I live that every day. I didn't talk about it much, so many, my family, my friends may not have even known it because it became normal. It's like, you know, I have um, a uh, backache but I just take an Advil every day and live with it. I have the backache of covering every single day. And um, thank goodness, you know, we're making so much more progress because of uh, people out there doing this work in diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, now you have black women leaders who wear natural hairstyles to work. You have LBGTQ leaders who can bring their partners um, or spouses to the holiday party. But there's still so much more that has to be done to eliminate the implicit biases we, you know, um, that we all have that's related to what is and is not acceptable behavior in the workplace. Um, I was just reading a, um, a recent study by Deloitte that found 80% of African Americans feel pressure to cover aspects of their cultural identity every day at work. 80%. I mean, that's just remarkable. And um, it's, it, it, you know, I know that I lived it and probably far everyone on your call, everyone listening on the call has, because it's not just reserved for people of color or for LGBTQ. Um, white men cover certain aspects of their culture. So this is a human issue. We, it's something that um, I'm very passionate about, as you can probably tell. And it's um, one of the things that the East Ledge Group is um, constantly focused on uh, in the work that we do is really um, helping people um, understand and appreciate the importance of what I call whole selfness. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing uh, I think that's um, that's also um, you know really important um, in terms of one of the um, hardships for me or lessons learned for me that I'm constantly working on um, is to be a better listener. Um, that's a hard one sometimes for me because I'm an attorney, and even though I'm not practicing, I'm still an attorney. And I, I feel like I was born to be one. And we're always working on what we need to say next. 
Like our mind <laughs> is two conversations ahead of the current one we're in. <laughs> Ask my family. They're on mute, but they would attest to it. <laughs> I promise you. I mean, it's like that's how we're wired, you know? And think about it. You weren't pretending to be able to be like that. So it's hard to turn that off. <laughs> but now that I'm working in the field of cultural intelligence, I use listening to build trust and gather much needed information about other cultures and their norms. Because part of what I do as a facilitator is um, listen non-judgmentally, right? I would not be successful if I, if I wasn't able to do that. And so um, this field is helping me um, become a better listener. So you are growing each and every day. You're helping others, yeah. but you are still growing as well. Awesome. So I know you talked a little bit about mentorship and making that transition uh, from corporate America to your own firm. So what role has mentorship played on the progression of your career? Uh, And you kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but has it uh, had you take any risk? Uh, based off of your your career and your expertise and the expertise that you receive from your mentors? Well, I can tell you that um, this is a topic that I could just talk on and on about because I have been truly blessed with the most amazing set of mentors. And for me, the blessing is that um, these mentors are still with me today. I have had, I have men, women, uh, white, black, young, older, um, you know, same career, different career. And um, one of the things that, that they all have had in common was the ability to see more in me than I saw in myself. So they pushed me um, to get outside of my comfort zone in many ways throughout my career. And um, challenged me in ways that inspired me to believe and invest in myself. Um, and you know, we're often our own worst critic, right? We work to please others at the expense of self, which is not a good thing. It's not healthy, but it's often something that um, I find, especially female professionals, we really, you know, are good at that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but through my mentors, um, I have learned. Um, to do the best that I can, be the best that I can, and live the best that I can, and let all the rest go. Um, and matter of fact, one of my mentors today is hugely responsible for my current career. He encouraged me to take this leap of faith into uh, entrepreneurship, and he even became my first client um, for my wow. first year. Yeah, for my first year. Um, my, I could say my business was hugely, um, you know, um, successful my first year because of the, um, belief that it had in me and giving me, um, uh, retaining me to do work that he knew I had the capability to do, um, even when I may have questioned it myself. Wow. That's Awesome. That's awesome to have a mentor that really believed in you and pushed you, you know, to the to the next level, pushed you and challenged you to 
to greatness, knew that you could do it and you might not have pushed yourself. So that's awesome that you had that mentor to, to do that. Some of our and I think that pop- young oh I'm sorry. I was gonna no, say, I think that young people young people um and not even the young emerging leaders, but everyone, I mean, look for those types of mentors because sometimes, you know, um you know, we may not even realize that we we're looking for mentors that can um, kind of co-sign on what we're thinking. But uh, I am really, um, some of my best mentors are the people who um, really pretty much tell me just the opposite of what I want them to tell me and, um, and push me to, to see things differently through, um, uh, through a different lens, if you will. And also push me to do things outside my comfort zone. So I think that's an important aspect uh, of a mentor in your life is to have people who can do that. I agree. So some of our listeners are probably thinking, you know, you've been very fortunate and very blessed to have mentors uh, in various aspects of your life. How would you tell somebody else to, where would they find a mentor or any suggestions? Did they ask for a mentor or ask somebody? Uh, this is a question that comes up quite often. Uh, where do I even start uh, with a mentor do, or finding one? Do I ask somebody? You know, how do I even get started? What would you uh, suggest? Well, I mean, I think that one of the um, best ways to find a mentor is to find someone you want to be like, you know, find someone who you admire um, and uh, aspire uh, to be like, and, um, you know, then perhaps ask that person or ask someone nowadays, it's a heck of a lot easier uh, with social media to make those introductions. And I have even used um, LinkedIn, right, as many of us have, as a way to meet people that I admire that I would not know. And um, very few times have I ever, if at all, been turned down when I ask someone, hey, can I meet, you know, would you be you know, willing to meet for a cup of coffee? And very few people are, are, are going to say no, especially when you ask them to meet for a cup of coffee, because there are so many things that they've accomplished um, in their life and in their career that you would like to learn from. And um, so that's, that's flattery, right? That, you, that, is, that really makes um, a potential mentor feel great. That, that's a human thing. We all like to kind of be patted on the back for doing things well and and our ego strokes it's human thing so if you are genuine about it and you've studied that person you know a little bit about their background not in a stalker like fashion but just you know you research them and you make the ask right and um and the important thing is then you know you you follow up after the meeting you have some meeting conversation you know you talk through the questions that you have and um and I believe it's important to kind of let the relationship evolve organically. You know, don't don't be pushy, you know, and don't 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 check out if you don't feel you're getting the response that you that you want because people are busy. 
and and but you know some of the mentors I may only talk to a couple times a year, um, but you know when when I uh, when I need them I let them know hey I need I need you I have a question I need to run by you do you have ten minutes for a quick call, um, and now there there are also organizations. That um, that's kind of the organic way, right? But there are also um, organizations out there um, that do um, pairing. Um, for me, I have never um, done the whole organizational pairing of a mentor. I have taken the approach of finding my mentors organically, and I think that that is. Um, um, and I, I'm I'm a little bit. Um, you know, partial to that method, but I think that's uh, a more genuine way because you are genuinely picking someone that you aspire to model some traits after versus having someone else kind of match you with someone. Yes, I I absolutely agree. I've actually uh, been matched with somebody uh, in a formal mentoring program and you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I uh, served as a mentee and a, men- and a mentor uh, in a program, and uh, sometimes the connections last and sometimes they, they don't. So mm-hmm. in one organization, I was matched, and it was kind of like we uh, had a mentoring relationship for a defined time, uh, and then that was it. We moved on about our way. And then I uh, had another mentoring relationship where we were matched uh, I was matched with a, a young scientist at a uh, university of Cincinnati and we are still connected to this day. We've been together since she was in school, since she graduated. Uh, she is now a member of our illustrious sorority. We went through that process. She was a hostess at my wedding. I've been to her wedding. I mean, it, so, and we've been together for years now, way beyond the, the matching process. So, it can work either way. Uh, so that's Absolutely. great information that you shared. And I also want to piggyback on the whole LinkedIn uh, that you mentioned. A lot of people are, are sleeping on LinkedIn and what it offers for uh, professionals. I mean, so if you are not active on LinkedIn, there are uh, ways to network and connect uh, with a wide variety and array of of, of people uh, on that platform. So if you uh, maybe got a profile and haven't been over there in a while, I suggest that you dust off uh, your your profile and go take a look at over there on LinkedIn. Yes. And I I want to just um, double back and clarify something because when we were talking about mentors, I was really looking at it from the standpoint of um, professional mentors when you're in your career. Um, when you're when you're talking about um, um, mentors when you're in, um, you know, still in high school uh, or maybe in middle school, I think that's a completely different process. So there, I think it's important that you are appropriately matched. That makes that, that how that process absolutely should work. However, um, my experience and how I was viewing this question was through um, the standpoint of if you are 
uh, in your career, what are some of the ways to identify a professional mentor as an adult? Oh, I think that that's a, that's a, a great uh, great clarification. I think that's that's great. Robin, growth is intentional. If we are not uh, learning, we are not growing, and it's easy to get comfortable and get stagnant. So what are some of the things that you do for your own personal and professional growth to keep your cup full? So as you are pouring into everybody else's cup and making sure they are fed and knowledgeable, what are you doing to keep yourself uh, energized and learning and engaged? Well, I'm an avid reader, so I love books. Um, it's reading is one of my um, number, you know, top three hobbies. So I am reading something every day, um, whether it's a book, white paper, blog, article, uh, you name it. I have, I always have two or three books on the shelf ready to read. Um, at any given time. So, um, like, and multiple books at any given time. Right now, I think I have um, uh, a book by a woman by the name of Amy um, uh, Cuddy, and it's called Presence. And it's about letting go of trying to impress others and focus on being your best self. And um, the other book that I have that's um, on deck is, um, I'm excited to, to crack it open this weekend, hopefully, is a book by um, Carol Anderson. It's um, called White Rage, The Unspoken Truth of Our Racial Divide. So I'm excited to delve into that as I'm um, attending a workshop next week on uh, facilitating racial justice discussions. So it's sort of like my warm-up. Nice. So are you a physical book person or audio book person? Do you have a preference? <laughs> I just like to ask um, the question because sometimes people say <laughs> audio books is not really reading. I disagree. <laughs> However, just asking. <laughs> you know, um, I, let me just tell you this. Like, if I was an attorney, I would be a librarian. So maybe that answers the question. <laughs> I, 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 like, I used to spend Friday nights in the library. I mean, you know, I, you know, I like to touch the pages. <laughs> so I have had every type of, you know, um, electronic device that I could read a book off of. And I always revert back to um, the paper because I highlight and I circle and, you know, I want to, you know, I want to flag certain things that I later want to come back to. And um, I don't know, I'm just comfortable with having them, touching them and seeing them present right there on my nightstand. Understandable. There's nothing wrong with a, a physical book. I actually have uh, physical books, uh, but I will say I am an audio girl, probably because I have long commutes. <laughs> so <laughs> maximizing my minutes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, you know what? I I do listen to books when I'm driving, when I'm commuting, or either podcast. So yes, now that that's the exception. I, I absolutely agree with you. <laughs> 
Robin, as an entrepreneur, you you learned to have tough skin, and well, you probably learned to have tough skin being an attorney, uh, because you hear a lot of you hear some yeses, but you're going to hear a lot of noes as well. So, what kind of mindset have you had to develop or, or, or change since moving into the entrepreneurial space? Because being an entrepreneur is a different kind of mindset. Uh, you know, sometimes you hear those no's and you just want to be like, forget it. Just forget it. You don't want what I have to offer. Forget it. <laughs> but you cannot say that uh, when you need business uh, and when you need to, to get your uh, your whatever it is that you have, your service, your product uh, in the hands of those that need it. So how have you made that that transition? If you had to transition, what kind of mindset? Well, um, it's interesting because uh, I think you said it right in the beginning. Um, I mean, I, I my skin was, you know, reptilian tough. <laughs> so um, having gone through uh, the, the, you know, kind of what I went through and going through the ranks um, in corporate America and especially as being um, an attorney. But I have, um, as I've mentioned, I have uh, been blessed to have experienced uh, you know, reasonably, uh, a reasonable amount of success in my first um, two years as a small business owner. And again, what has been a huge contributor to that is the collaboration with others. Um, And what I find is that often small, now what I have heard the nose is where some other small business owners have been reluctant maybe to collaborate or to share a significant piece of their pie, right? And um, and that's usually because uh, with other entrepreneurs, right? And that's usually because they fear that they won't have enough pie to eat themselves. But what I have found, the reality really is that by sharing their pie, they'll gain access to more pies along the way. So I have, where I've experienced to know um, that has been surprising to me in, in this space is when I have wanted to collaborate with others um, in this space. So um, so that's been um, a little eye-opening to me, but, you know, where one door closes, you know, several open. Um, but it's funny uh, now because as a corporate leader, uh, I, I viewed failure as the kiss of death. I mean, I took it so personal. Uh, my husband can tell you, I mean, took it hard. Now as a business owner, Failure nearly means not right now. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it's like, okay, well, that's fine. Not right now or not you, but it's definitely someone else um, because there's so much more um, sense of control of destiny um, as an entrepreneur. And um, you don't, um, I don't have those same um, concerns. Uh, over, you know, walking someone else's uh, idea of what should be my destiny. And even though I encounter no, uh, it's not viewed as a close of a coffin. It's viewed as an opportunity uh, for a future yes. That's good. I like that. So failure just means not right now. I love it. I love it because, I mean, you're right. 
uh, and and sometimes I heard when I I work with our young people and they they view failure as a, the kiss of death, and sometimes mm-hmm. uh, viewing it like that could lead to them harming themselves or or hurting themselves, uh, and and being afraid to make mistakes. And when you are afraid to make mistakes or afraid of failing, then you are hesitant to try new things. And for our young people, that could be a detriment. So I like that. I like that failure just means not right now. It, it, mm-hmm. Right now. Not in this not in this season. It doesn't mean uh not ever, just not right now. And so as I think about that, uh in hindsight, we often look back over our journeys and think, I wish I would have known X. So when you think about your journey, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self who was matriculating through college or in life and trying to figure it out? What would you say uh, to that person? Wow. Um, I would say, um, first, learn learn a second language <laughs> that makes you so much more marketable in so many ways uh it's a multiplier uh i took latin for you know i don't know two years so go figure um but on a deeper note um i wish as a as a much more earlier in life i would have had the courage to be um a more more authentic as a leader um, and I and I know it would have made me a kinder person. Um, Jeff um, Bezos uh, retold um, the Amazon CEO retold a story that his grandfather shared with him as a child, I believe. Um, it was something like, um, you know, Jeff, one day you'll understand that it's harder to be kind than clever. And I believe this is ac- accurate for many African American leaders. Um, because we spend so much time focusing on suppressing our true identity that the emotional tax is multiplied onto others. Um, there was one day I was leaving work, and I was uh, probably, I don't know, 15 uh, years or so into my legal career, and um, one of my um, now mentors, was uh, an executive that I looked up to, stopped me as I was walking out the door. It was late. It was about 7 o'clock at night. And he called me over to his office. And um, he said a few things to me. And I guess by the look of my face, uh, he said to me, you know, you really need to take off your armor. And, I mean, I looked at him, like, in shock, right? And, you know, all along I'm thinking I got to be the, the 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 fastest, the best, uh, the you know hardest, the strongest. All of the superlatives were taught in order to um, you know get things done by and through you know our our male or our white colleagues and employees, right? And when he said those four words, I promise you, I melted. I mean, I have never cried at work. And I just right there, shoulder slumped, and I just booed right there, holding my briefcase and my purse and gym bag and all that other stuff as a young professional you have. Um, <laughs> but, but but in the end, you know that armor 
armor didn't protect me from being my own worst enemy. So, you know, young people and, and leaders who carry this, you know, this, this, this burden of having to, to, to be the best, to just to make it, you know, often, you know, wear this armor. And so uh, take off your armor. Be yourself. Don't let the fear of fitting in stop you from embracing who you are. You know, I'm a woman of faith. God didn't make any mistakes. If if your company, your institution, your organization doesn't embrace you for who you are, then send them the, send them my way. I'll help them get there. But whole selfness, that's important. That is important, and um, I, I I learned that lesson too late in life, maybe too late in life. That's good. That's good. Take off your armor. You are you are absolutely right. It, many times, we as leaders, especially if you're in an environment that is not uh, diverse in its thinking, uh, you are with a full armor on every single day and it and it can be difficult especially when you spend the majority of your time at work and then to try and transition when you get home can be difficult robin what's next for you as our time is is coming to a close and i could talk and (laughs) listen to you for another hour but unfortunately we don't (laughs) have that time tonight I'll have to have you back another time, but (laughs) what's next for you? Well, I would say that um, in 2020, I am focused on growing my business and building my brand, Um, collaborating with um, wonderful, other wonderful female entrepreneurs. And um, I actually have a new passion project that is still in the early development stage, so I don't want to share too many details. But I can say that it focuses on breaking down the barriers that female African-American entrepreneurs face. And we're the fastest growing group of small business owners in the U.S., but we face the largest number of barriers. I want to help break those down. Ooh. That sounds interesting. I am intrigued. I guess I'll have to stay tuned because I know it's early and you don't want to give too much away. So I will jump over there at LinkedIn and make sure that I stay connected with you uh, and see as this unfolds. So, Robin, how can our listeners stay connected with you and continue to follow you on your leadership journey and support Absolutely. you? Well, um, they can certainly contact me at R Shabazz. Um, that's S H A B as a boy A Z Z at the East Ledge Group dot com. Um, and my website, which um is in the process of being redesigned, uh, is um the East Ledge Group dot com. So please come and uh check us out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, our time tonight 
has come to a close and went so fast, but you shared so many great nuggets. So thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to give me the opportunity to interview interview you tonight. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. And um, I look forward to maybe, you know, stopping by again sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I wish you nothing but much success and many blessings in 2020 uh, and in both your professional life with your business as well as your personal life. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, listening audience, for tuning in to tonight's show with our special guest, Robin Shabazz, where she shared with us, collaboration is the new currency. Don't be afraid to have strategic partnerships or collaborations with others, because what it does is it opens up additional doors for you. You need the support of other people to move through life. You can't move through life alone. You need to have the ability to know your craft and know your craft well. You need to be proficient. People, especially if you have a service or a product, people want to know that you know what you're selling. You know what you're talking about. So make sure that you know your craft well. Remember, practice makes perfect. Be true to yourself each and every day. So you take off that armor as you go throughout the day and go throughout your work. Take off that armor and be true to yourself. Learn to be a great listener. Listening builds trust. It's important uh, to have mentors in your life. Mentors will challenge you to see things differently. They'll push you to a new level. When looking for a mentor, find someone that you want to be like or you aspire to be. Failure just means not right now. It doesn't mean not ever, just not right now. And if you have that free time, have time, make time, learn a second language. It's very important, uh, especially in today's society. And be an avid reader. As we know, leaders are readers. So if you like what you heard tonight and want to listen to previous shows, you can subscribe at podcast.coachtwilson.com and find all of our awesome leaders that have been on the show thus far. If you're thinking about starting your own podcast, I would love to help you get started. Go ahead and, and take the leap in 2020. You have a message, you have a story that somebody needs to hear. You can send me an email at DI Broadcasting. That's D I B R O A D C A S T I N G at TrendyLLC.com. Please tune in next week to hear from another amazing leader. Until then, have a good evening. Thank you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson, where Taiwana speaks with leaders who share nuggets of wisdom that you can use in your personal and professional life. Follow her on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Coach T. Wilson. Connect on LinkedIn or visit www.coachtwilson.com. And remember, in life, learn as much as you can, appreciate often, and lead fearlessly.
Yeah.